those folks that I had the privilege of pastoring, would you stand? Hallelujah. I appreciate these folks being here today. Hallelujah. 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 These are great people. And it was an honor and a privilege for me to be able to hang out with these folks and spend time with them. Uh, Kyle and April, here in the front, wave your hands, Kyle and April. This couple were our children's pastors, did a great job, found their way in our hearts. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And uh, we just thank the Lord for them. So, so many wonderful memories and blessings that we have uh, from the church. Um, yeah, we just thank the Lord for this, this church family. They were a blessing of the Lord to us. I have a, a little Bible that a tall African gave me when I left on my 50th birthday, gave this to me, and I can't read a word of it because it's in, it's, it's, uh, it's in uh, his language, but I carried it with me today because I wanted him and the African people that I had the privilege to serve to know pastor held this very precious means a lot to me. I can't read a word of it, but I got it up here with me today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I came a long ways, folks. I'm a Tennessee hillbilly, and uh, I'm going to tell you something. To have come from where I went to pastor a multicultural church, uh, regular Texas people can't understand me sometimes. And, and then to have all these different people and different uh, languages and dialects, it was a unique experience. And what a blessing it was. We grew so much. You know, there I was, uh, 48 years old when I was elected there, and I grew so much in those two years. I learned so much from those people. It changed my life. It changed our family. And, uh, man, I came from an area in Tennessee where the KKK is big, and, you know, they come to church. <laughs> And at nighttime, they put their robes on, go out there and go through their rituals. I'm telling you, they had a big place right there every year. Uh, old Hank Williams Jr. and a bunch of old boys come down there and celebrate with them, sing their songs and stuff. But go from there to pastoring a multicultural, multiracial church, that was a unique experience. Boy, I prayed through. <laughs> my, my, it was a blessing. We love your pastors and thank the Lord for them. Uh, Jared, Mandy, we, I remember when he met Mandy. and uh, Pastor, I'm hanging out with a girl from Paris. Paris, France? No, Paris, Texas. <laughs> and, uh, you know, anywhere outside of the Dallas-Fort Worth area is boondocks. You know, it's a wee out <laughs> And And uh, I remember Jared telling me after the first time he went up there, boy, Pastor Dan, I was up there. That's a long ways up there. And, man, those people, there are country people up there in Paris. And I just laughed as I heard him speak about that. And that girl, I could tell she done, done put a hook in his jaw. I mean, that girl, she done fine. She done just pulling him back. Boy, I mean, she just. And so I, the Lord has blessed him with her. And uh, I appreciate Sister Mandy. And they're a blessing to us. Hallelujah. 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 I love this family. I love, uh, I love Kyle. And his wife, and uh, I don't see her where she went off to, Children's Church, and love his family. Been knowing his, started preaching for his daddy and mama over in Irving, their their mom and dad back uh, in the early 90s, and so that made these guys all young, and uh, they watched me turn from blonde headed to brown headed to finally gray headed. I just pray I keep gray, and it don't let go. 
And you know what, Brother Jared, I prophesy to you that there will be a greater anointing upon your life than what came upon your daddy. And that you're going to see more done in your ministry here, should Jesus tarry, than you even know now. While I was over here worshiping the Lord, I could see the people from uh, UT up, right up the street up here from off of Cooper and see them just hearing about it and coming down here and being fed and nourished. People from all places of the world coming in here and getting to minister to Koreans and to Vietnamese and to uh, people from France and people from Germany and have all these different dialects in here and groups of people. And from that group is going to come a core that's going to touch this area for God. And the Lord's going to use you guys to do that. I believe the latter is going to be greater than the rest, brother. Great anointing. It's a great day when you walked away and came over here. That was a great day. It was hard on them, but it was great on you and on your brother. Because what you're doing is going to impact little brother. God's go God gave you a heart for him, and, and God's going to use him in a mighty way here. But it's all connected through you and what you're hearing God say. Now, I want to tell you that... Uh, a church was having trouble electing a pastor because of what they call personal problems. Personal problems. The first man wasn't elected because he was too much like Moses. He stuttered too bad. You know you can't have Moses for a pastor. The second one, second candidate they brought in, they refused because he was too much like Elijah. He got discouraged easily. You don't want to discourage, preacher. Third man was turned down because he was too much like John the Baptist. He wore weird clothes, ate wild stuff, and he preached against sin too much. And you can't have John the Baptist for your pastor. The fourth preacher was rejected because he was too much like Peter. He cussed, and he had two people killed for lying about their giving. And the fifth preacher wasn't elected. He was unacceptable because he was like Paul. People died in his services while he preached. He struck one attendee with blindness, and he stirred up trouble everywhere he went. So we couldn't have Paul. You know that. So since you can't have those guys, thank God for the one you got. <laughs> Brother Jared, your friends, us included, are here to encourage you. Your family is around you to humble you, and your enemy is there to promote you. Because enemies always promote people. Before Moses could be led out, uh, lead the people out of Egypt, he had to deal with Pharaoh. Before David came from obscurity to notoriety, he had to face Goliath. And uh, then he had to deal with Saul. And Goliath made his name a household word. All children know who David was because of his enemy, Goliath. The fiery furnace tells us the names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know about Daniel. A lot of people wouldn't even know about Daniel, but they know he got thrown in the lion's den, and he survived. Amen? Hallelujah. So, you know, I want to say, brother, you know, I don't, even though these folks are dear friends of mine, we don't see each other. We, we now are on the other side of Rockwall, and, and so we don't see each other and get to visit, so we don't keep up. But I, can I just be honest with you and share the truth with you today? Would you all take the truth and smile and say amen and wave at me? Holler amen back at me, talk to me? One of the first things I want to say, Brother Jared, when you start to, to really have a move of God and you have a heart for God, you're not going to be one of these fly-by-night, one of these guys that is seeker-sensitive, one of these guys that's trying to fix it so that everybody it likes it just the way that they would like it, but you want to present an atmosphere 
where the Holy Ghost can move and Jesus be real when they drive on this parking lot. And if you have that kind of desire, you're going to stir up the enemy. And the enemy always uses people in the pews. He won't use the people down at the crystal pistol. So what will happen is, is you'll have fire start to come. Everybody say fire. fire. And when the fire comes, fire does a lot of stuff. One of the things it does is fire burns up all the dross. So what happens is, is that people repent and pray through and folks get right with God. Another thing that fire does is it brings troubling. Peter said to not be uh, surprised by the fiery trial, which is to try you. And when, when the trouble comes, when you start to have revival, everywhere Paul went, he either had a revival or a riot, right? And when you start to have a move of God and the Holy Ghost starts moving, you listen to what Pastor Dan's telling you. I've been doing this now for 31 or about two years now, and I've learned this through the years. may not have happened yet, but I may be looking at you. One of the first things you have happen when the move of God starts to come and God starts troubling things is people start quitting. And, you know, the people that will quit is the ones that was the most faithful when you got there. Boy, y'all are looking kind of sheepish today. Can I tell you the truth? Can I, I, I asked you if I could tell you the truth. Y'all said, yeah, tell it. Go on, brother. Go on, tell it. We take it. And usually the ones that quit you are the most faithful, the most vocal. They're usually the ones that get you there. They're the ones that sung your praise six months ago. And now they're out floating around somewhere else. Know why they're there? Because they could not come under the uh, yielding of the Holy Spirit in their life to what God was doing. And what God is trying to do is have a revival. He's trying, to, he's trying to set up his kingdom mentality in this church. And kingdom mentality goes beyond religion. Religion will kill you. It's religious folks that caused all the trouble. Religious folks has is, is caused all, the, all those crusades that killed all the people. All the fighting goes on in, in Ireland. That's all over. Catholics and Protestants fighting. And you know the Lord's not in that. The devil's in that. And so the folks that... I had, I had an old teacher tell me this years ago with my old pastor. I mean, he, he said, son, I told him I was going to candidate for a church. It wasn't here in Arlington. It was another church years ago. And he said, well, son, the man that picks you up at the airport is going to be your first problem. <laughs> I said, what do you say that for? He said, it just happens. I don't know what it is, but there's a spirit that manifests on people. And the ones that beg you in and get you all, man, we just love this guy. Don't you just love the pastor? They're the, they're, in six months' time, they turn around walking off, or they're finding fault with you. They're stirring up trouble in the church, trying to create a disturbance. Well, don't you listen to that if that happens in this church. Don't listen to those who get upset and want to walk away. If people walk away, you just keep serving God. You keep your eyes on Jesus and keep yourself focused on the Lord. Hallelujah. Because enemies promote you. Listen, it's when you get in a battle and you see things starting to kind of shake up, just start rejoicing and praising God. That means you have met the devil head on. And you're going in the opposite direction he is. And the devil don't like opposition. Uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want you to like opposition. So the uh, natural thing is just, well, I just can't take that. Well, if you can't take that, you might not going to go to heaven, are you? You're going to go. All who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer some problems. And those problems sometimes come from our own stupidity. I created so many of my own problems. 
And one of my problems has been, I'm helping y'all if you're listening to me. This is not my message, but one of the worst problems I've had in the ministry is looking at people. Don't look at people. Look at Jesus. They are not your provider. Hallelujah. The money will come from the north, south, east, and west. He could take one person and bring in here and give you enough out of that one person to make up for 15 or 20 people who regularly tithe who want to manipulate the work of God and try to turn it the way they want it. And you can't give in to that. You've got to move forward. Don't look at people. Look at Jesus. Everybody say, look at Jesus. Turn around and look at somebody else. Say, look at Jesus. Look at the one on the other side. Look at Jesus. Say this. Say, I'm going to stand with Pastor Jared. And I'm going to believe God. I will not look back. I'm going forward into the kingdom things of God. And I'm going to live that way till Jesus calls me home. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. All right, I want to get in my message. Now listen, folks, it's about 10 minutes till. Y'all ain't planning on going at 12, are you? You ain't going to. Get some ushers back there and lock the doors. <laughs> really, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to preach as fast as I can. Y'all just hang with me, okay? In Leviticus 19.32, the Scripture says, Thou shalt rise up before the gray head and honor the face of the old man. And uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 says, Rebuke not an elder... But treat him like a father. And verse 2 says, The older women like your mothers, the younger women like your sisters. And what Paul is teaching and what the Bible taught way back there in Leviticus is honor. Everybody say honor. honor. Teaches honor. How to honor people. So, um, so when, uh, when I was, where I was raised in Tennessee, there's a lot of the old uh, teachings that were get handed down back over in England uh, that's passed down into my bloodline. Uh, those hillbillies that I've come out of, those folks really believed in showing honor. So when you walked into a room and there was elderly people in the room, uh, you, you, you waited till you could be seated. And if one of them walked in, if, a, if an elderly person walked into the room, you stood up. Now, we didn't know that that was scriptural. I just gave you the scripture in Leviticus 19. We didn't know that, that God said to stand up before a gray-headed person, to show them honor. Um, when a lady walked into the room, uh, we were taught as men to stand up when a lady stands up. When she sits down, you can sit down. She gets up, you got to get back up. So we was up and down a lot. Sister Jonelle, if Sister Jonelle came up to me and I'm seated, I'm supposed to stand up. I'm not supposed to sit there to show honor to her. See, that's the way in, in old England and, and Great Britain, there's still a lot of those, uh, uh, you know, teachings and, and part of their makeup and belief systems. Well, honor is something that we many times in America has lost. But I'm going to talk to you about that real quick. This message, the Bi I didn't realize how much the Bible talks about honor until I got into this message. Can I say that what comes out of you is not dependent upon the giftedness on your life, but it does depend upon how I can perceive you. There is a release or restraint on the power that flows out of you to me based on how I view you. What is the difference between Bill Johnson, Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, 
John Hagee and your pastor to you. And I can tell you, most of the time, it's honor. And I'm going to tell you why. They have the same call, same Holy Ghost, same anointing. But when you see your pastor regularly and you hear him preach and grow familiar with him and his wife and his children, Josiah, that little guy, I love Josiah, and he loves me. When you grow familiar with his stuff, he becomes good old Jared. And he's just, hey, Jared, how you doing, Jared? You walk up to him and, uh, Jared, good to see you. But, you know, when me, he and I are hanging out, I, I say Jared to him. But here, he's Pastor Jared. See, I'm, I'm in his church. I'm in, I'm in his pulpit. I got his microphone. Okay, okay, we're going to do it like we did at All Nations. This is the glory button, and this is the amen button right here, okay? Everybody ready? All right. This, this is Sister Mandy to me. This is Sister Pastor, right? I'm, I'm showing honor, bestowing honor to them. What's the difference in Bill Johnson and T.D. Jakes and John Hagee if, they, if you walk up to them and the way you view them? Many times, or me, it would be honor because we get used to those folks. See, you get familiar with him. He became your friend. Uh, you got his cell number. You can call him when you need him and get a call back. However, you can drive to a convention or a conference from a distance to go hear Bill Johnson preach or Benny Hinn or Kenneth Copeland or David Wilkerson and fall out, get drunk in the spirit, climb the walls and tick like a clock, uh, get healed and come out glowing in the dark. <laughs> what happened? The difference between what, the way we view the pastor and others. What is the difference? Same gifts, same Holy Ghost, same call. But we view one much differently than we do the other. I can receive you on the same level I can perceive you. If I perceive greatness and godliness and anointing on your life, you can bless me. But if I don't perceive these things in you, I can't receive from you. Do you understand what I'm saying today? The, the people cried, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands in 1 Samuel 18, 7. They perceived greatness in David that they didn't perceive in Saul. So they began to cry out to him. Jesus came into the towns and villages and, and people received him as the son of God. And astounding miracles took place wherever he went. He went into Nazareth and they said, he's a local boy. He, in chapter 4 of the book of Luke, he stood up, read from Isaiah chapter 60. He put the Bible, the, the, the book down. He said, today is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. They said, well, who's this guy think he is? He's a local boy. Uh, you know, he works with tools. He's a carpenter's son. That, that's Jesus. He built our table in our living room or in our dining room or wherever. He, he built the chair that I sit in every day. He, he couldn't do miracles uh, because of who he is. He's just a regular guy. And in Nazareth, he couldn't do anything except he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. He couldn't do any of the miracles that he did in Capernaum in his own hometown because they looked at him as just Jesus. Are you hearing me? Same Jesus, but two different comprehensions and perspectives. Some bestowed great honor upon him, and it released his power to heal and to raise the dead. And the people in Nazareth didn't view him with the same honor but instead devalued him and gave him no esteem, and it restrained his power. So what did Jesus have to say about it? A prophet is not without, say it again, say honor, honor. 
A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 22, they said, Is not this Joseph's son? In uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 and 56, the Scripture said they knew his brothers and his sisters, and they called him by name. See, the, the religious people struggled to hear Jesus because, first of all, he was born in Bethlehem. Nothing big about being born in Bethlehem. They're like being born in the hills of Tennessee. What's so big about that? you got to be from, from, from somewhere. He was raised in Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of there? Right? You remember those things they said about him? His dad was a carpenter. He wasn't some great wealthy man. He was, dad wasn't a rabbi. He was a humble person. He came riding in on a donkey. They couldn't receive that. They only recognized uh, and gave wealth or, or gave worth by wealth and pedigree and establishment. Hebrews 13, 2 said, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Listen, folks, God can come to you in a lot of different ways. And many times he will come to you, angels will come up and minister to you, and you didn't even know it was an angel. You just thought it was a stranger, but it was an angel disguised as a regular person. So we, you and I, if we're not careful, we'll miss God by looking at people and figuring them out and, and categorizing them. So if I want to receive something from your life, I must shoulder, pay close attention. If I want to receive something from your life, I must shoulder the responsibility and the burden to know how to look at you or to honor you rather than you trying to be powerfully anointed when I'm around you. You know what I'm saying? I need to know how to look at you. And if I can look at you with honor, bestow honor on you, stuff's going to come out of you. But if I look at you and say, now, he's really got to, I'm expecting a lot if I go out. He's got to be powerfully anointed. If all I've got to do is try to work at being powerfully anointed around you, you know, it's going to be sometimes you're going to be discouraged because it, the, the anointing comes and goes and anoints in different ways. Sometimes it's real powerful. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes y'all come in here and shout and dance down the aisle, don't you? Hopefully. And then sometimes you come in here and take a nap. Honor brings out good stuff out of people. Scripture teaches that you esteem others greater than yourself to prefer your brother and your sister because if I honor you, esteem you, and prefer you, great things are going to come out of you. I want you to turn real quick to John chapter 13. I'm going to read some scripture to you today that, you know, they just took on a different meaning for me after I read them. John chapter 13 and verse 20. John chapter 13, while you're turning, go to Luke 13. Verse 35, Luke chapter 13 and verse 20. Most assuredly, I say unto you, he who receives whomsoever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Did you hear that? He who receives whomsoever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him that sent me. Luke chapter 13, real quick. Luke chapter 13, verse 35. Your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say unto you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name 
of the Lord. We read that verse of Scripture and thought, well, that's when they were talking about the Lord coming into town on a donkey. But ladies and gentlemen, he's talking about you and I being able to bestow honor on people so that when we meet someone who comes to us in the name of the Lord, that's just like the Lord coming to you and I. You understand what I'm saying? That was the Lord that sent that person to us, and we receive them as we would receive the Lord, and blessings will flow out of that person into our life. If you receive he, uh, if you receive who he sends, you receive Jesus. If you receive Jesus, you receive the Father. If you don't receive them, then blessings can't come your way. Hallelujah. So when you and I uh, can bless the one who comes in his name, he said, I'll be there. Can I get a witness? Hallelujah. Now, this is called the principle of representation. The principle of representation. God is always represented in somebody. When Egypt, when the children of Israel were in Egypt, they cried, God, get us out of here. They're making bricks, and, and they were so sick of building these buildings for the Egyptians. And God, and God heard their prayer, the Bible said. And God, God saved Moses in the bulrushes. Brought him out and had him uh, nursed in his, by his own mother. And God raised Moses up. And when Moses was in Egypt, ladies and gentlemen, he was the representation of God being in Egypt. Amen? Joshua, when he came to Canaan, Joshua had the call of God. Have not I commanded you, be, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. And when he came into town, it was like God walking into town. When David came into the valley of Elah, his brothers over there hiding behind the rocks, Saul hiding over there. Do you see that big giant? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine out here cursing our God? Let me go out and fight him. I'll take him out. Oh, you can't do it. Oh, you're too little. You're just a boy. Put on Saul's armor. He put on this big old coat, big armor. He said, I ain't proved this. Would you help me, man? Come here. Right there. Come help me. We're going to get you out there and send you out to fight Goliath. We're going to give you Saul's armor, okay? You're going to put on his coat. All right. You know what David said? After they put all that on him, he said, I improved this. This ain't no good to me. I ain't never been out and fought with this. But I did fight with a slingshot, and I know what it is to kill a bear and a lion. And the same God that handed the bear and the lion into my hand going to hand him into my hand. And he ran out and fought him in the name of the Lord. God took that rock, hit the Goliath in the head. He took his own sword, cut his head off, picked his head up, and the war was on. Hallelujah. Thank you, son. You can take it off. Hallelujah. Give this young man a hand. What's your name, buddy? Corey. Corey. Pleasure to meet you, Corey. Hallelujah. Now, listen, folks. Paul at Ephesus. When Paul came to Ephesus, it was like Jesus walking in. I didn't say he was Jesus. I said it's like Jesus because he had Jesus in him, right? When Daniel was in, in Babylon, it was just like God living in Babylon while they were there. Jonathan Edwards, when he went to Enfield, Connecticut, and preached sinners in the hands of an angry God, and the whole place was saved. I mean, overnight, 10,000 people gave their heart to God. That was a pretty good revival. When he died, the old boy that went ahead of him and sat up and prayed and had prayer meetings months before he came to town in different places and preached and, uh, and ministered to him and served him, he was in that man's house the night he died. And after he died, he walked out the next morning. There were reporters and people standing around. We understand that Reverend Edwards is very ill. And he said, last night, an angel died in my house. He looked at him with such respect and honor that he called him an angel of the Lord. John Graham Lake 
saw 100,000 healings, documented healings in Spokane, Washington in five years. It was declared by the United States Census as the, well, as the healthiest city in the United States. You know why? Because a man that had God in him was living in that town and they were praying, they had healing homes and people got healed on the average of about 200 and 250 people a day came in and were prayed for and God healed them. Hallelujah. Amen. On Christmas Eve, 1912, in Basutaland, Africa, he accompanied a group of Christians taking the Lord's Supper. And, and Brother Lake said that 75 healed lepers joined them for the Lord's Supper. And he said they were healed under the ministry of a native whose sole raiment when he first met him was a goatskin apron. He also told of Edward Lyon. I put these in just for my friend Arnold. He told of Edward Lyon. L-I-O-N, named after a lion, you know. He was illiterate and didn't wear clothes, but he got saved. He was filled with the Holy Ghost and was so anointed that when a multitude of people came and were so sick, they, got, they were in a valley. And Edward Lyon walked up on the side of the mountain, stretched out his hands, and all of a sudden began to pray in the Spirit. And as he cried out to God and prayed, healing power fell on those people. And hundreds of people were healed in a moment of time. Instantly, just like the Holy Ghost falling, hundreds of them were healed. That's never been recorded in Scripture. But it happened, folks, because those people living was like God living. It was the re principle of representation. God always is represented in somebody. You cannot serve God without serving somebody. You cannot bless God without blessing somebody. If you see God in them, you'll draw God out of them. That's the reason why some of our services are dead as a mackerel. Because we've turned it around where service is about me. It's what I want. It's what I want to hear preach. It's what I want to hear sung. And if they're not singing my song, I can't get my hand out of my pocket. Till they sang Amazing Grace, I ain't pulling my hand out. Preach. Tell it, son. Go on. I'll say amen till you preach, brother. Let me tell you something, folks. It's not about you and I. It's about Jesus. It's about worshiping Jesus and glorifying Jesus. Hallelujah. Mm. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When did we see you that way? Hear it. When did we see you that way, they said. He said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. That's the principle of representation. If you went to prison to see somebody, you went, it's like going to see me. If you gave clothes to somebody, it's like clothing me. If you gave food to somebody, it's like feeding me. I heard Brother Yun, Sister Jonell, and he's Chinese. And he got gloriously saved. Brother Yun, in the first year, now, now when Mao Zedong took over and started his communist regime in China, he said, we're going to get rid of all vestiges of Christianity. Well, Brother Yun got saved and gloriously saved. The first year he was saved, he won 3,000 Chinese people to Jesus. He got so on fire for God, winning souls and leading people to Jesus, that the word got out and they started watching him. Finally, they caught him witnessing and handing out Bibles. And they put him in prison. First time they put him in prison, he was there for seven years. They'd bring him in at night. They'd bring him in. They'd take and stick uh, needles under his fingernails. And then they'd put, they'd shoot 
acid up in his fingers. And he said the pain would hurt so bad that he'd pass out. And the next day, he'd wake up. He'd be in, the, in his cell. He said, I'd lay there and say, Lord, just let me be a witness. And he said that, that acid would just eat in my fingers. And he said, I was in such pain. But I'd sit up and I'd sing to Jesus and glorify the Lord. And he said, all them old prisoners heard me down there singing and glorifying Jesus. And said, man, that fellow's here just because he's preaching about Jesus and he can worship God. Surely we can too. And over and over, they'd have to move him to a different area because he kept winning everybody he was locked up beside to Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Finally, they let him go. After seven years, they let him go. Said, hey, we, we, we just can't, tired of feeding you. He went back out and started winning souls. And he won so many souls, they said, we got to do something about him. And put him back in prison for another three years. Now they let him go again. He's back in a big old place worshiping God, standing up in the front of the building, praising God, singing, glorifying the Lord. And when he was, the man sitting in the back, he learned this song he was singing in prison. And when the man sitting in the back came up to the front, and he said, you're singing that song wrong. This old man, he said, he's mad at me. What, what are you mad about? He said, I wrote that song. Where did you write that song at? I've been in prison for 10 years. I've been singing that song. He said, I wrote that song in prison. I just got out of prison myself. I'm a preacher of the gospel, and I've been in for 40 years. And my wife was arrested and put in prison, and she was pregnant, and she lost our baby. That's the only Seed I was going to have in this world. My wife died. They never let me out. And Brother Young said, I felt so little after I stood up and feeling good about being in jail for 10 years in prison for the gospel's sake when this old man had been in there for 40 years and loved God with all of his heart. Wasn't angry and mad and bitter, but he was praising God and worshiping the Lord. Let me tell you something, folks. God is always represented in somebody. So Jesus taught honor to the sick, to the naked, to the hungry, to the imprisoned, not just to people with titles and great salaries and fine cars and influence. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 17, Paul says, Know no man after the flesh, not by what they were, but by what they are. You don't know them because they was hanging out with Pookie and Ray Ray and Chili Bean. Right? You remember when they used to hang out down at the club. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you, you remember when he used to gangbang. You hung out with him. You, you, you knew what he did. But now he's saved. He's different. He said, don't know him after what he was. Know him after what he is. And what he is is what is Christ. All things have passed away and all things have become new. He's a different person now. Know him after Christ. Don't know him after what he was. Now, my challenge, ladies and gentlemen, is not to let everything negative that I know about you to rule how I see you. Because if I let everything negative I know about you rule how I see you, I can't get anything out of you. And I want, to, I want everybody to come up to me, put something in me. I don't want holler hands and holler heads. I want somebody got something on to come put their hand on me and pray for me, give me something real. Hallelujah. And when you come up, if I honor you and I don't look at you and, and I can control, put the negative thoughts out of what I can know about you, I can get great things out of you because honor draws things out of people. Even though you may still have issues and your ability to bless me comes when I no longer regard you after the flesh but after the spirit. I have to choose to disregard your faults and character traits that may not appeal to me. And we all got them. We struggle in America to esteem anybody. 
So we, we want to find out who you are, what you're doing, what you're doing wrong, expose it and destroy you. And a perfect example of that is Sarah Palin. That's right. They looked after that woman. They tried to find fault with Sarah Palin. They looked up and down. They drug her through the mud. They drug her family through the mud, did everything they could to discredit her. She finally got so discouraged and frustrated with all that she quit. That's what the devil does, ladies and gentlemen. And that's what we like to do in America. We love to try to find out. We'll turn on those shows, uh, uh, entertainment tonight, so we can see some kind of trash on somebody, find out what, what, what somebody did, what did he did. What 50 Cent did. Come on. We usually detest success in America. As long as you're unknown to the masses, we can accept that. But notoriety, favor, and blessings cause us jealousy, envy, and suspicion. We get suspicious in the church. God get to blessing somebody. Uh oh, what's he doing? I bet he's selling drugs. <laughs> Brother Jared, turn to Matthew chapter 10, verse 40 and 42. And I want you to read that in just a minute. Matthew 10, verse 40 through 42. Now, I want to tell you this. Hispanics, Mexicans, and Italians in my life through the years in California and other places, especially here in Texas, have taught me a lot about honor because they mostly have a Catholic background. Most Italians, most Hispanics, and most Mexicans have a Catholic background. And Catholic people are used to honoring esteeming the priest. They're used to honoring the father. They're used to honoring the padre. Are you with me? Most Catholic people know how to show honor because they're used to honoring the priest. They won't even put up with somebody talking about the priest in front of them. Protestant folks are used to cussing the preacher. Thank you for those three grunts. Oh, that button's not working good. There it goes. Black people taught me this. I played a lot of basketball and, and uh, all the way through school. Taught me a lot about honoring women because in the black culture in America, women are very important. If you want to get a black man mad at you, talk about his mama. Now, you might say something about his daddy because his daddy hasn't been around. Maybe his daddy... It was just spreading his seed around. Man, he may have 10 kids from 10 different women, and they don't even know about their daddy. He may not have been around, but I'm going to tell you, mamas and grandmamas are very important in the black culture. Why? Because they helped raise them. They taught them. They most of the time teach them how to pray, how to treat. They get a lot of their understanding about life from their mothers and their grandmothers. You don't get a fight, say something about their grandmama. If you want to get a good meal, go home and eat it there, grandmamas. <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. Them grandmas know how to cook, and people in these stores, these restaurants don't know how to. If you ever eat there, you won't go out and eat vegetables nowhere else anymore. They don't know how to cook. Because grandma knows stuff to put in there. <laughs> she, could, she can cook neck bones and make you want to go back every week. <laughs> Well, you wouldn't eat neck bones anywhere. Well, well, a neck bone, boy, you go eat it at, at grandma's house. Amen. American culture classifies people. And uh, so we put them in a high-income bracket. We put, call them middle class or we call them poverty level. And James chapter 2 says, if you have a man who shows up looking all crunked up, he's got a cool car, he's got cool threads, 
he got a Tiffany ring on, and you give him a prominent seat, tell him, come up here and sit up here in the front. And then here comes a poor guy in, and you tell him, I'll tell you what, we ain't going to give you a seat. We're just going to let you stand. James said, chapter 2, that you are sinning because you're not showing that poor man honor just like you're showing the rich man. Not showing him honor. We should treat the people that pump our gas, mow our yard, people who clean the place with the same honor that we would treat anybody else. Because Paul said the ones that really you need to talk to in the church to find out the will of God sometimes are the people that are, King James said, less calmly, the people who are not up and talking all the time and who's got the microphone, but the people who are prayer warriors, who seek the face of God and who are in love with Jesus. Read Matthew chapter 10, verse 40 and 41, uh, 41 through 40, 41 and 42. Brother Jared. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive the prophet's reward. Anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Amen. Now, now, now the Lord taught... The Lord taught three kinds of honor. Number one, honor to God. He who receives me, receives him that sent me. That's the first honor. It's easy sometimes to honor God. But in, in church today, a lot of folks don't even want to honor God. Give God praise. The second one is in verse 42, 41. He said, honor to ministry. If you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet's reward, that's honor to ministers. And then thirdly, he said, honor to people or honor to a righteous man. You show honor to that person. And then he said, if you, if you give a cup of cold water into these little ones, little children, you're going to receive a reward for it. That's how you treat everybody, God, ministers, and people, and children. He said, if you honor them, you will receive reward in heaven for it. It might come easy for us to honor God and those in ministry, but it's another thing to honor those like us. Familiarity is difficult to deal with, isn't it? It's easier to honor and esteem Bishop Jakes and Pastor John Hagee or Gary Oliver or Bill Johnson because you don't know them. You don't know their wives. You don't know their status in life. You don't know what kind of house they live in. You don't know what their crib is like. Come on. You don't know their faults and their sore spots. But people close to those men have to work at honor because they know what makes them angry. They know what makes them frustrated, and they know what they drive. Hey, brother, if you want to see some folks get upset, one of the first things they look at what the preacher drive. Come on. You'd be surprised. There might be people that wouldn't even like, what, like that Ford Expedition that Pastor Jared drive. If you wouldn't like that Ford Expedition, like that young preacher got too nice of wheels, how would it be like for you to serve somebody that drives a Bentley? Or Rolls Royce. See, if, if you would struggle, i never forget. Uh, our, our superintendent was a spiritual father to me back in Tennessee. And Brother Jackson was getting ready to sell his Cadillac. And uh, every couple of years, he'd buy a new one. And uh, I said, now, my wife loves that car. I had him preach for me. When, uh, when you get ready to sell that, uh, I want, uh, we're going to buy it. He said, okay. Well, he sold it. Bought him a new one. 
I said, I'm going to buy that car. And he said, oh, son, you sure them people going to like? They, they mind you driving a Cadillac? I said, no, they don't care about me driving a Cadillac. Boy, was I wrong. As <laughs> long as I drove a pickup, <laughs> I had a Chevrolet, a Dodge. They wouldn't say nothing. I mean, I drove up the first day. I drove up in that Cadillac. People walked out. Who parked in the pastor's parking spot? <laughs> I didn't hear his car. And they found out because this park came out. They said, who parked in your husband's? That, that, that's our car. Oh, it is. <laughs> they walked off. <laughs> they went and found some people started talking about it. And by the time I got through preaching, that bunch done stood out there. Can you believe the pastor driving a Cadillac? They didn't know it had 100,000 miles on it. The superintendent, it wasn't, it wasn't but two years old, but he drove it all over them hills and mountains in Tennessee preaching the gospel, and they thought it was a brand-new Cadillac. they just about to die over me driving the Cadillac. Well, if it, they'd struggle over that. It'd be hard to go follow Bishop Jake's home and look at his Bentley because he got one. We used to see him every little bit. We, you know, we lived here. we go over here to Papa Do's uh, off of... Uh, uh, yeah, 630, I mean, uh, off of 30, and what's in that? Collins. We go over and eat every little bit. And uh, sister back there, she, she wait on us a lot. And Bishop Jakes goes in there and eats a lot. And we'd see him in there usually on Monday or Tuesday. He'd come in and eat. And I'd sent notes over there. And, you know, the first time I'd wanted to meet him, and boy, he got up, hugged my neck, and just talked, visited real big. We had a good time. But you know what? People, if they could have walked outside and seen that Bentley he rode up in, they, then all of a sudden they start struggling over honor. Amen? Try to, try to serve somebody who has a Jacob watch on and canary diamonds by the carrot and Tiffany jewelry and wear Vera, Vera Wang design clothes, not stuff you can buy up on a shelf, and cologne that you can't even call the name of. What is so hard for people in their marriages? Honor. They know their husband. They know his faults. They know his proclivities, his uh, propensities, and still have to try to honor him. What makes it hard to, for a man to honor his wife? Familiarity, nearness, knowing so much about him. See, see, Sister Mandy, she has to always remember, yes, this is my husband. She knows his faults. She knows what makes him tick. She knows his buttons. She knows what she can do to get... Get him aggravated. She knows what she can do to get him smile at her. <laughs> Want to hold her hand. Kiss her on the lips. Come on, somebody. So, so what she's got to do is remember that when he's up in this church, he's up here with his microphone, she don't look at him like she did last night. Come on. Y'all come on and help me. If, see, people don't say a man a lot. I go longer. Because I think it's going to get started after a while. But if you jump in, I'll get done quicker. So she knows his faults and problems, but still has to know that that's the man that God called. God's anointing him, and I'm here to help that man have a great ministry in this town of Arlington. Hallelujah. Amen. Sometimes uh, honor in marriage has to do with a gift. One of the greatest gifts that Sharon has ever given me, the uh, greatest gift she ever gave me, uh, of course, is her love and those three babies we got. Hallelujah. But I'm going to tell you something. One of the greatest gifts she ever gave me was, the, was my 50th birthday uh, present. 
she put a party together over at All Nations, and we had friends come in from everywhere. And, boy, I tell you, I, I, I've got a notebook that people wrote in, pastor friends from all over the world wrote in there and said stuff about, man, I treasure that. That thing means so much to me. That, that, that birthday was special. I'll always appreciate Sharon for putting that together for me. Honor, you can't let your husband walk into a room, ladies. We're talking about honor in your marriage, what makes marriages fall apart. You can't let your husband walk into a room and not recognize him. Because if your husband can walk into a room and you don't recognize him, that means that he is not of any value to you. When he comes in, you need to look up and say, mm-mm. Right? You need to acknowledge his presence. Don't let him walk in and just keep looking down. He, men need to be esteemed. And guys, you can't go to the mall and look at all those women and never look at your wife. Come on. You can't. You go to the mall and all them good-looking women done come out shopping. And I mean, you look around, man, there's good-looking women everywhere. And your wife meets you. You see her coming. And right beside of her, these real good-looking women coming. You're just grinning all the way down the mall. Just looking. And if you get there, if you don't just keep looking at her, if they go by and you go, you're in trouble. Why? Because marriages are supposed to have honor in them, right? I told Sister Jonelle just a few moments ago. She came up and she was hugging our necks, you know, and oh, it was so good to see y'all and we love y'all. And I said, Sister Jonelle, you look so beautiful. I told her that a lot when I was her pastor because she is. She's a beautiful lady, but she needs to be told that. Right? It shows honor. I used to talk about Matilda. Every church needs about two dozen Matildas. I'd, be, I'd get there to church. She'd be already up there picking up, walking out there in the yard, picking up beer bottles and, and Pepsi cans and trash off the, off the driveway where folks had drove by during the night and threw it out. She'd go out there and pick it up and throw it in the trash and go in there and wash her hands off, try to clean up the place so it looked good. for. And if she saw dirt, she'd be out there with a vacuum cleaner or a broom trying to clean it up, make it look good for the house of God. Amen? Hallelujah. That's an honor. Jill used to come over and feed our dogs for us. And I gave Jill a key to the dog pen. She's the only one ever had a key to that dog pen besides us. And we'd go, we'd go, to, the, go to visit our folks up in Oklahoma for a day or two. She'd feed those dogs for us and take care of them and love on them dogs. And you know what? Jill proved to be one of the greatest helps to us there at All Nations. She, we could depend on her. We knew we could call her and she would help us and, and do what she could. I called Jose. April broke down over somewhere. <laughs> He'd go over and fix her car, Zeb's truck. He's been over and fixed mine. I, I, these folks became my family. Hallelujah. Sister Parker, look, I, I made it sure to go by Bertha and talk to her kids every day. I'd go by and look at Julio. Come here, Julio. I'd go by Julio. Every time I saw Julio, I was putting my arms around Julio and hugging his neck and telling him how much I love him. You know what he did well ago? He came up to me when he first saw me. He threw his arms around my shoulder and cried like a baby on my shoulder. He said, I miss you so bad, Pastor. You know what, folks? That happens because you learn how to love folks and treat them with honor. Right? You know how to honor. You know why he feels the way he does? Because Julio knows that Pastor Dan honored him. I looked at him with respect. Amen? Hallelujah. I love you, buddy. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, 
I'm going to quit Luke 4, 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth, verse 22, and they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Verse 23 through 29 are very important. Can y'all stay with me another few minutes? Y'all going to leave me? Brother Jerry, can you find it for me, Luke chapter 4? I think it's important. Chapter 4, now in verse 16, it said he came to Nazareth. Verse 22, they said, it's not this Joseph's son. Start reading at verse 23, Brother Jared, and go to verse 29. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not, not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Can we stop there? Is that verse 29? No, I'm sorry. Uh, all the people in the synagogue were fur- furious when That's they good. heard this. That's good. Stop right there. I, I'm going to take, take time to read that. All the people were furious. The Bible said they went out and took him out, and they said they, they threw him out of the synagogue. Then they took him and started a, a parade, went up the, a mob, got up to the top of the hill where the city was built on, and were going to throw Jesus off the hill and kill him. But Jesus made his way through the crowd and got away because it wasn't his time to die yet. But ladies and gentlemen, those people were angry with him, and they wanted to, and they threw him out. But listen, if you keep reading, I won't take the time to read it today, but in verse 31 through verse 40, the Bible says, now here he is in Nazareth. They said, we don't want him here. Throw him away. Get him out. Verse 31 said he came down to Capernaum, and they received him and honored him. And the Bible tells us they brought unto him all of their sick, and he healed every one of them. Did you hear what I just said? In Nazareth, they didn't even want to hear him preach. They threw him out and tried to kill him. In Capernaum, in verse 31 through verse 40 tells us, he came to Capernaum, they brought all their sick folk, and Jesus healed them. And they brought people that were devil-possessed, and Jesus cast the devil out of them. Why was he able to do so much in Capernaum and nothing at Nazareth? Honor. Everybody say honor. Honor. Jesus said that they worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And you and I cannot be that way. I'm going to tell you this story and quit. Naaman is the leper recorded in uh, the, t- the text that Pastor Jared just read. And 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through 27, tells the story. He only listened, folks. Naaman only listened to two or three people in his life in the story, and they were servants of his. They were people that showed him honor. Now pay close attention. Verse 2 of chapter 5, 2 Kings said that an Israelite maid who was taken captive. I read Finest Dake's notes about it, and Finest Dake said she was just a young girl that was taken captive. And, and so she was there looking at Naaman, and she was ministering to Naaman's wife. And in verse 3, the Bible said, she said to Naaman's wife, if, if your husband was over in Israel, there's a prophet over there named Elisha, he'd heal him if he was with him. And they didn't know about Elisha. So she told her husband, said, look, this, this little girl, this Israelite maid said, if you'd go over to Israel, you'd get healed of this leprosy. Verse 10, the Bible tells us that Naaman loaded up and went. And Elisha is in his tent. He already knows he's coming. Naaman comes up with this crowd of soldiers with him and his, and his servants with him. He comes up to get his healing 
And Elisha says to his uh, apprentice, Gehazi, go, go outside and tell him, I said, go, wash, go dip in the Jordan River seven times and he'll be healed. And verse 11 said, Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand in front of me and call on the name of the Lord and put his hand on the place and heal me. And verse 12, he turned away, Naaman did, and went away in a rage. Elisha had a revelation, ladies and gentlemen, that Naaman was eaten up with pride far worse than he was leprosy. So he sent Gehazi to go out and minister to him instead of him going out to minister to him. He thought he'd come all that distance. He's going to get the man of God to come out the tent, put his hand on the place, pray in the name of the Lord, and God was going to heal him. And Elisha didn't even get up out of his chair. He just said, go tell him I said go dip in the river Jordan seven times and he'll be healed. And, and Gehazi walked out. Of, uh, Elisha said, tell you, man of God said, tell you, go down and dip seven times in the river Jordan, you'll be healed. That's all. And walked back inside. Hold up. Hold up. The Bible said he turned around and went away mad. When the Bible in the King James said he went away wroth. Wroth means he was furious. Like some of y'all in the rush hour traffic. It can bring it out, can't it? And verse 13 said, and his servants, everybody say servants. Naaman's servants came near and said to him, if he had bid you to do something great or something big, wouldn't you have done it? Go wash and be clean. And verse 14 said, he went on down. He dipped seven times in the Jordan and was healed. And verse 15, Naaman turned around and came back. To the man of God said, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Please take a blessing or a gift of thy servant Naaman. Now verse 5 told us, folks, that he had brought 150 pounds of gold and 1,000 pounds of silver and 10 heart shafter and mark suits. Now you know what that is? I sat down and we worked that out last night, looked it up. Uh, and, 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 you know, the, what it would break down to in ounces. 150 pounds of gold is 2,400 ounces. In today's price of gold, that would be $2.4 million he brought with him in gold. Now, he brought 1,000 pounds of silver. That equals to 16,000 ounces. Ladies and gentlemen, that's $320,000 in today's money. So, in other words, this man brought to Elisha this gift of two. $2,720,000, not counting the cost of the 10 Versace suits he brought. And Elisha said, tell him, no thanks. There ain't no way I would receive that. And then the Bible says in verse 22, Gehazi went out and told him, man, so, you know, he changed his mind. He changed his mind. He said he'd go ahead and take a little bit because two young prophets had come and they need help, so he changed his mind. So what does he want? He said, I'll take a, a talent, uh, 100 pounds of silver. And the man said, well, just take two, 200 pounds. And so he took two talents of silver and he took two changes of garments. Now what Gehazi got total in today's money is $64,000 and two Versace suits. Now what Elisha wouldn't take $2,720,000 gift and 10 Versace suits. Come on, y'all with me? His servant Gehazi was willing to sell out his anointing because he was in line. Elijah, Elisha, Gehazi. He sold it all out said, you know, I, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather have that $64,000 worth of silver and those two Versace suits than I had what I'm going to get from this old man in here. He came back. 
He said, where you been? He said, oh, I've just been out there walking around. <laughs> he said, no, you ain't. He said, my spirit went with you. I saw where you went. And he said, the same leprosy that was on Naaman has come up on you. And the Bible says it. And that leprosy that washed away in the Jordan River, swam up river, jumped out of the river and jumped on Gehazi, and it caused him to walk out of his presence, Elisha's presence, white as snow. And that awful word, and to thy seed forever. Everybody say forever. Today, ladies and gentlemen, somebody, some descendant of his is walking around with leprosy today because that, that was pronounced on his seed forever, what that man did. Naaman's servant was close enough to see his leprosy and still thought he was a great man. Did you hear what I just said? His servants, that little servant at home, and then those servants that went with him down there to Jordan, they said, you know, just go dip. It's, a, it's no big thing. And he got healed. He was able to listen to men that honored him. He paid attention to what they said because they showed him honor. It pulled it out of him. So Naaman listened, and he had the blessing of healing in his body. He would have died with leprosy because he wouldn't receive the one who came in Elisha's name. Did you hear that? Elisha wouldn't come out, and he got mad at, at, at Gehazi, but he listened to his servants, and he got a miracle. Did you hear what I just said? If you do not honor and receive those who are sent in his name, you would not receive or honor Jesus himself. Jesus said that. Luke chapter 10, verse 12 through 16. And Jesus said, furthermore, if you go to town, you preach in my name. The Bible tells us he doesn't call them together, got 70 people, laid hands on them, gave them power against devils and sickness. He sent them in there and said, go preach. And he said, you go in there and preach, and you heal the sickness there, and all this, bring the kingdom of God to them. If they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet and go on out. Because he said, in the judgment, it will be more tolerable, it will be easier for Sodom than for those people. Because you were sent in my name, and they did not receive you. Did you just hear what I said? I mean, if you do not receive those that are sent in the name of the Lord, you and I will receive judgment for it. Some people struggle to show honor to pastors, to deacons, to teachers, to ushers. They'll show honor to the pastor, but won't show honor to a greeter. Greeter, tell them, ask them, would you park over here? No. Don't get in my face. They won't show honor to the police. Boy, guys, <laughs> they won't show honor to their in-laws. I love my parents, but my in-laws, come on. They won't show honor to their neighbors, to different ethnic groups, to lower economic levels, different church groups. They look at other folks as different. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what the difference is? Is we need to learn how to show honor. We need to learn how to show honor to people. And Elisha and Elijah, Jesus said, in the, in the, in, uh, he said, only, only one woman was sent to and got a miracle from Elijah. And then one got it from Elisha, Naaman. There was a lot of lepers, but he's the only one that got it. Ladies and gentlemen, in the story of Elijah and Elisha, I read that yesterday, and boy, it just jumped out at me. It's the principle of honor. Elijah walked up, took his mantle, and when he laid his mantle on Elijah, Elisha out there, when he laid that mantle on him, he turned around. He took the, the uh, plow, tore it apart, started a fire, had a barbecue, Texas-sized barbecue. He cut those cows up, had a barbecue. He said, Mom and Dad, bye. I'm going to follow that man. Why was he following that man? He wanted a double portion of what that old man 
had when he felt that anointing come on him when that mantle touched him. He followed him all that time. But time went by. <coughs> he went to Jericho and he went to Gilgal. And he walked across on dry land now on the day he's about to go. Everybody knew he was going. God doesn't give Elijah revelation. Today's your day. You're coming home. He done told all the sons of the prophets at all his prophet schools. And, and they're all saying, did you know that today is the day that, that Elijah's going to be gone out? Yeah, I know it. They just kept following along. You stay here while I go over to Jericho. No, nah, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I'm going to stay with you. He followed him along. They got to the Jordan River. They both walked up. Fifty sons of the prophets to view afar off at Jericho watching. Bam! He hit the Jordan River and walked across on dry land. Got on the other side, and I read it yesterday. I never noticed it before, and the Bible said, and as they walked along and talked, and I thought, wonder what those boys talked about, those two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. It wasn't something frivolous, brother. He knew he's about to go home that day. He's talking about good stuff. Now, son, this is what you remember. This is what you remember to do. And if you do this and do this with your life. And the Bible said as they kept walking along talking, as they walked along and talked and just discussing the things of God, all of a sudden a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared, and the Bible said that it parted them. And it grabbed a hold of Elijah and took him off. Now, he'd ask, ask him, what do you want from me, son? He said, I want a double portion of what you've got. And I ask a hard thing. You know why? Because he didn't have a double portion. He only had his portion. He couldn't give what he didn't have. But he said, if you, if you watch me, you can have it. But it was going to be by faith. But now he's done followed the old prophet around so long, ministered to him. In fact, the Bible said they didn't even look at him like this great prophet Elisha, they said, of Elisha, they said, well, he's the man that poured water on the hands of Elijah. That's the way they looked at him. And he's unfollowed that old prophet along so much, he's forgot. I believe it, it becomes secondary, that double portion of that anointing. We, we talk about that so much. But you know what happened? When the old boy in the chariot came by and he slung on and it parted him, the Bible said that Elisha looked up. He didn't say, well, good riddance, old man. He didn't say, I'm glad to have you out of here, old preacher. I'm glad you're gone, old prophet. He went from that double portion guy, I just got to have what he's got and more. And the Bible said he looked up and he said, my father, my father. With tears running down Elisha's face, that man had turned from an old prophet to him, to his spiritual father, to a mentor to him. And he looked at him not as somebody I can get something out of, but he looked at him. Look at this relationship. My father, my father. And cried. And the Bible said that when he watched until he saw him no more. And he finally got out of sight. And the Bible said that Elisha grabbed his own garments and ripped them apart. It just so tore him that his old pastor's gone. He know I'm never going to see it, old man again. I'm never going to see that. I'm never going to hear that. You know, I believe he thought in his mind, you know, if I, Lord, if I could just have you to answer prayer, I'd have you wait an extra hour. Give me one more hour with that old man. Let me talk with that old man one more hour. Let me have one more. Let me hear one more sermon from that old man and then take him home. But now he's gone. Elisha looks around. There's that mantle. He walks over and picks it up, walks back. And I don't believe he walked back just over there haphazardly, ladies and gentlemen. There was a relationship here. Elisha was drawing stuff out of that old man. And he said, I believe he picked that mantle up 
and he looked back where they had just walked from the Jordan, I believe he put his foot in the same footprints, that old man, because they're going to be washed away before long. And he wanted to be able to put his feet back in the same prints where that old man had walked. And he walked in those steps back to that Jordan River, to the same place they crossed. And he hit the water. And when he did, it backed up on either side. And he walked across on dry land. And when he did, them 50 sons of the prophets over looking said, The spirit of Elijah is now on Elisha. And he walked on up the hill to the school of prophets. And the Bible said they all fell down on their knees and said, You the man. And they paid him honor is what they did. You know what happened there, folks? Honor is what brought the great things out of Elijah to that man. Thank you, son. I'm going to tell you something, folks. You want to get something out of somebody. I spent my life doing what I'm preaching. I just didn't know uh, how important it was. I went to see him ward. I went to hear him preach. I drove a long ways one time to hear him preach years ago. Boy, did he preach at night. And after his old with the crowd done stood around and talked to him for a long time. Most of you don't know who C.M. Ward. Sister Joe Nail and some of these folks may remember. but Billy Graham, I think, said C.M. Ward was one of his favorite preachers. He loved to hear him preach on the radio every day. And I, I went to that old man. He was wore out and tired. He's sitting on the front seat. They didn't ask him all kinds of questions. And he's a brilliant man. I went up and knelt down beside of him, in front of him. And I said, Preacher, would you put your hands on me and pray for me and let a portion of your spirit be on me? And he pulled them glasses off and wept and laid his hands on me and prayed for me. One time we were driving through Lindale, Texas years ago, and I'd done, I'd done read Sodom, had no Bible. And uh, why revival tarry? I said, I got to meet Leonard Ravenhill. And I went and looked up Leonard Ravenhill, found his house, went and knocked on the door. That old man, that old prophet walked to the door. I said, yes, sir, can I help you? I said, yes, sir. I'm a young evangelist. I'm coming through this part of the country, and I've got to have you put your hands on me and pray over me. He grabbed me by the hand, jerked me in the house. said, come in here, boy. He jerked me in. And I said, yes, sir. He turned around sat down at his desk where he's writing a book at that time. I knelt down. I said, put your hands on me and pray. I want a portion of that spirit on you. He put his hands on me and prayed over me. And, boy, I tell you, I, I felt like crawling out of the house. I felt so much power after the old man prayed for me. I was with David Wilkerson two years ago, and he preached in this conference I was in. After the service was over with, uh, that night, Carter Conlon preached, who is a preacher. He's the, he's the pastor of, uh, of uh, Times Square Church now, and David Wilkerson just in there occasionally. And Brother Wilkerson was sitting behind me back over three or four seats, and I, got, I said, I'm going to go get Brother Wilkerson to pray for me, Sister Parker. Okay. And I went over to where he was, snuck back there where he was. He's sitting back there by himself. I said, sir, looked up at him. And I looked in them beady eyes. <laughs> I said, would you put your hands on me and pray for me? I want a double portion of your spirit. He said, repent and get right with God, brother. Get the sin out of you. Because <laughs> he's, he's an old prophet. Man, he'll cut the hide off of you. He said, get right with God. Repent and pray through. And, and God will bless you, son. He put his hands on me and prayed. And Sharon said, what happened? I said, I turned around and crawled back to where I was sitting at. <laughs> That's what I did. I've been to Marvin Gorman. Had that old man lay hands on me and pray for me. I took my kids to Springfield to meet great preachers who are now living in Maranatha Village, and one of them just went to heaven, Paul Lewinberg, who preached all over the world. And I brought both my boys up there one day and said, I want you all to meet this old man of God. And they went into his room, met him there in Maranatha Village, 
And I honored that man. I'd go by and see him, bring him fruit, go in there and talk to him about Jesus, talk to him about the old days. Tell me, preach to me a little bit, Brother Lowenberg. He was 95 years old, Alzheimer's. It took his mind, but he knew that word. He'd say, well, I've been reading today the book of Ephesians. And I read how many times in him is in the book of Ephesians. And it's rich. I said, put it on me, preacher. Tell it. I sat down, and he opened that old Bible up. looked like a print was that big. He started reading. And that old man preached to me. I sat there and cried like a baby. And I brought my boys up there, and I said, these boys want you to put your hands on them, old prophet, and lay hands on them, pray for them. And they knelt down in front of him. He said, I can't sit in my chair and let them boys kneel down. i got to get down here with them. And his old legs wouldn't hardly bend anymore, but he crawled out of that chair and got on his knees, put his hands on them boys. And I'm going to tell you, we cried a puddle of tears in that room that day. I'm going to tell you something, folks. If you can learn how to show honor, your marriage will be better your relationships at home will be better. This church will see things. You'll see more miracles happen in this church when you learn to show honor. Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. Jesus Christ heals, delivers, and sets free, and he'll heal anybody through this man that he'll heal through Bill Johnson. You know what the difference is? People will go to Reading. I've been there. People will go to Reading. We held revivals in Reading. Did you know... People will go there and they'll say, oh, what a great man of God. What a great church. You know what? They've just finally decided to quit coming forward for prayer and start coming forward for healing. Come up here and get something. And they're going out in the malls and they're praying for people and they're getting healed. And the kids are out there playing bongos and guitars and people walking by sick. And they go, can I pray for you? Yeah. And one of his old boys the other day went by. These people came by and, and they noticed this guy's kind of like this, you know, and